Well, again, good morning and welcome, church. So glad that you're here. Um, it's like there's it's interesting makeup in the room right here. So uh, it's, don't take it personally if I look more in this direction. I'll do my best to, uh, you know, uh, all of that. But uh, anyway, good, good to have you here. Uh, good to be together. Thank you for being at the 8 o'clock service, too. Uh, you're, you're allowing people to attend at a more popular time by being here. So thank you for, for doing that um, on, uh, yeah, on this Sunday. So, okay, what I want to do to start off is, so, uh, well, like, raise your hand if you think you're average. No, I'm just, just, I'm kidding. It's, it's a joke. Like, don't, that's terrible, isn't it? Like, but I appreciate it. Some of you were like, all right, I'm going to do this. I'm average. Like, you owned it. That's great. That's great. Well, it, it kind of feels insulting, doesn't it? Like, I'm not average. No, who's, like, but you know what I love about that is, like, the word average, like, literally means that most of us here are average, right? That's, that's what it means, I mean, not me, of course. I grew up watching way too many Disney movies to believe I'm anything but special. Um, of course, of course, I'm, you know, I want to be, be great. I want to be above average, right? Don't you? Great at work or great at school, great at sports or great at family or great at friendship or great at whatever, whatever it is. Like, we, we want to be great. We all want to be great. That's normal. Of course, of course you do. Of course you want that. In fact, that's... It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, I think. Like, God is great, right? And we're made to be like him. And so he gave us authority and he gave us, uh, you know, influence and, and the desire to contribute and passion and all of those things. Like, that desire within you for greatness is not a bad thing. I mean, it can, it can lead to terrible things. We know that. But the desire itself is from God and it is good. So go and do and be something Great, go for it. Wish it was that easy, don't you? It's like, okay, well, then I'll just go and have a great life. Like, we, we know it is harder than that, right? But what if, what if I told you, what if I told you that you could be great? Like, truly great. And you don't, you don't have to get a, a 4.0. You don't have to run a company or have the perfect family. You don't have to be the funniest or the prettiest or the smartest or the fastest or, or whatever, right? But you could be truly great great. Would you be interested? Sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? Or just four payments of blah, 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 you know, call now for your free, like, it just sounds way too good to be true. I wouldn't believe it either if it didn't come directly from Jesus. Because Jesus today, in the text that we're going to look at, it's a long text, he is going to show us the path to true greatness. And it is available to you and to me and to truly anyone. So if you haven't already, turn to Luke 22. Now, you may have noticed we've, we've kind of uh, focused in on just part of the story so far, right? You only heard part of the scripture read. You saw the video about the Lord's Supper. And we're going to get there. That's an important part of this. It's really the centerpiece of this chapter. But we're going to try to take this entire, these 30 verses... Uh, to sort of paint a picture of what, like, what is Luke trying to do as he shows us the Lord's Supper? So, so go back all the way to verse 1 of, of 22, because we're, we're in the final week of Jesus' life, okay? Uh, and we're moving now to the final hours of Jesus' life. And so in chapter 22, verse 1, we, we see the chief priests and the, the scribes. They're the great people of that culture, right? 
And they're trying to figure out how to kill Jesus. But they know they can't just do that because Jesus, is, he's well-loved. And so they're trying to figure out like a scheme to, to be able to do that, right? Because they want to preserve their greatness. And they can't do it as long as Jesus is there. So they need a plan. And so enter Judas Iscariot. You've, maybe you've heard of Judas, right? He is not a great guy. But he sees his opportunity to make a name for himself. And whether, whether he is just greedy or, or uh, just disappointed with Jesus or like whatever is motivating him, he also has a plan. He was one of the 12, right? He's an insider with Jesus. And so Judas knew Jesus like you and I can only dream, right? He traveled with him, ate with him, saw the miracles, like heard the sermons directly from him. But Judas also wants to be great. So let me read now, 22, verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, but for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, one of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them, and they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. So there's another character in there we haven't mentioned yet. You got the scribes, the Pharisees, you got Judas. And then all of a sudden, like, Satan is there. It's kind of weird, right? Especially for us in the 21st century, we, we don't like the idea of supernatural evil existing. We just, it's hard for us to process. And yet Luke very clearly tells us, and multiple times throughout his story, that the, the serpent from the garden is still very much alive and well. He's still very much a part of this story, that there is real supernatural evil in our world, that someone else wants to be great. Satan does. So do you, do you see the characters all sort of emerging before we get to the Lord's Supper here? It's like the, 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 you know, the chumming of shark-infested waters, uh, essentially. And Luke, Luke wants us to notice all the power structures at play, Right? Because he's building something, building to something. So you've got the powerful leaders. You've got the desire for power from an inside. You've got supernatural power, the one who seeks to destroy. So don't, don't miss the contrast Luke is building. Because we go right from here to a dinner table. It's Thursday evening now in the story. How would you spend your final 24 hours before the cross? Making dinner plans and waiting tables? Because look at verse, verse 7, 7 through 13. I'm not going to read those. You can look at them for yourself. But essentially, again, there in the story, as we have throughout Luke, we see Jesus arranging all of the details. He's, he's essentially made reservations for them uh, in, in the home of someone in their, in their upper room to be able to eat together the Passover. And the Passover, that was the most important holiday for them in their, in their culture. It was the feast celebrating their, their freedom from Egypt. So it was, it was a meal in which they uh, remembered, they reminded themselves, they all, you know, their people had at one point, like, sacrificed a lamb and eaten it together in Egypt. But in faith, like, if you know the story, they put, they put the blood of the lamb over their, over their door, Right? And as a result, the angel of death passed over them, passed over their house, Passover, right? Sparing their lives and setting them free. And it's no, it's no coincidence 
that they're eating this meal together because Jesus is the new and better lamb. The disciples don't know that yet, but they're going to learn that very quickly. And so they're, they're all there having this, this feast together, right, including Jesus, Judas, and Jesus knows. He knows about Judas. He knows about the plot. He knows he only has a few hours left, and yet there he is enjoying a leisurely meal, feasting and laughing with friends, serving them as their host. Other gospel writers even describe how Jesus washes their feet. So they are reclining at the table when Jesus does the unthinkable. He serves them his body and blood. Not not literally, of course, right? But essentially by, by doing this, he is saying the Passover is about me. He's saying, I am the lamb, right? It's my blood on the door. And if you want salvation, just as God saved his people in Egypt, then that salvation is going to come through me. Jesus is saying, I'm about to die for you. He's letting them know. And then he serves them bread and wine as a way for them to remember. And even though these words are so familiar to many of us, let me read them anyway. Verse 19, and Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. This ancient feast of salvation is about me. Not in a self-centered way, but in a self-giving way. And again, you got like, imagine being there. Put yourself around that table Already just a little bit full and full of the joy of community, of being together, right? This, this great experience, the lingering smells, the, the flickering candles, the king of the universe serving you salvation. Can you taste it? And then, about a minute later, it seems... The disciples start arguing about who is the greatest. Luke wants you to throw up a little bit right now. Like they've just seen and experienced all that, and they're like, yeah, so guys, who do you think is Jesus' favorite, right? It's got to be me, right? I'm the best follower of Jesus here. Like, and they start sort of plotting, like, who's going to be, like, they think Jesus is like a normal king, and they're, they're imagining a government, like, well, you know, I'm sure Jesus is going to promote me. I'm going to be his number two. I'm going to be in charge. You guys are all going to report to me. Like, they're, they're jockeying for position in this moment. Like, like think about that. They want, they want to know who of them will have the most authority, the most respect, apostle MVP. Who of them will be the greatest? Just like the religious leaders, just like Judas, just like Satan himself, they want to be great. And they think greatness comes through power and achievement. Jesus washes their feet, serves them dinner, basically says he's about to die to save them. Hey, that's great, Jesus. Thanks for that. When can I get a promotion? You're supposed to be disgusted. In fact, in fact one of the reasons I believe this story is true is who would make it up, right? 
Like, what motivation would you have? Like, if you're going to create a legend about Jesus, like, you wouldn't make his first followers this, this terrible, right? They're, they're awful in this moment. And, and so, again, think, think of all of chapter 22 as a unit here. This chapter begins with the world's definition of greatness, right? The Pharisees, the scribes, Judas, and Satan, uh, and then focuses in on Jesus' example of greatness. And it's beautiful. But it ends with his disciples completely missing it. And Luke wants the readers to ask the question, will we also miss it? I want to be great. You want to be great. Here it is, the secret of greatness. Greatness begins at the table. And no one is greater than the one who serves. You can't miss that in this story. Greatness begins at the table, and no one is greater than the one who serves. Let's, let's break that down a little bit here. Greatness begins at the table. Begins at the table. But we, we tend to make, I make the same mistake the disciples did, right? That we, we define greatness by power, authority, position, job title, the amount of money we make, or the kind of car we drive. Who's the funniest, the prettiest, the smartest, whatever, right? Or, or at the very least, we try to grade ourselves on a curve, right? You know, as long as my house is better than my brother's, as long as, as long as my boss likes me better than my coworker, as long as my kids are smarter than those kids. Meanwhile, Jesus spends his final hours playing the waiter for a bunch of ingrates. Why? Because greatness begins at the table. And, and there, there are three ways here, I think, that the, the table... Okay, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, communion, whatever you want to call it. Three ways that the table redefines greatness for us. Let's, let's walk through this. First, so greatness begins at the table not with ruling, but with needing. Not with ruling, but with needing. So Jesus, he overhears this argument, right? This, I'm the greatest, no, I am, no, I am, right? And I'm sure after he pauses for a moment and lovingly rolls his eyes, right? Look at verse, verse 24. Here's how Luke describes it. He says, A dispute also arose among them to which, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles excise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater? One who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. So again, we, we think of greatness, you know, about ruling, position, politics, right? And so, and so do they. And Jesus understands this. And I love this. Like Jesus is not naive about the world in which we live, Right? He knows how the world works. He says the kings of the Gentiles, like everybody else, everybody else in authority and power, everybody else we call great, exercise the lordship. That's how the world defines greatness. Not so with you. Not so with you. Not my people, Jesus says. Not my church. Not kings, but little children. Do you see the contrast there? The youngest, he says. Not the leader, but the servant. It's a picture of need. But that's where greatness 
is found. Think about, think about that contrast. If you want to be great, according to Jesus, it begins by seeing how needy you are. How not great you are, essentially. And there is nothing that reminds us of our need like the table. Because every time you take the bread and cup, if you're a follower of Jesus, every time you take the bread and cup, you are saying, my life is so messed up. I am so lousy at carving out my own existence that the God of the universe had to come and save me. That he had to become a man. He had to die on a cross, had to come out of a grave alive. I am that broken, that desperate, that needy. And greatness begins there. Not with the world's definition of power, but with our need. And if you recognize your need, good news, you are on your way to greatness. But it doesn't stop there because, because Jesus meets our needs. So that leads us then to the second thing. Greatness begins at the table. Second, not with earning, but with receiving. Not with earning, but receiving. This is hard, isn't it? Because we live in a world in which we basically have to earn everything, right? Or at least we try to, right? You've got you to earn a living. You've got to earn respect. M- many of us oftentimes feel like we have to earn love, right? Nothing is free. And so we work and we strive. We put all of this energy behind it, right? And is it any wonder we're so exhausted? Just like the disciples, right? Here they are trying to earn their place, trying to earn their place at the table, as if following Jesus is like some terrible episode of Survivor, right? And Jesus, he gets it. Look at verse 27. So like we, we all want to be the one he describes, right? The one who reclines at the table. Ah, that's the person who's made it, right? We all want to be served. We want, we want to kick back our feet. We want to be the ones who have made our place and have everyone else sort of fall in line behind us. That's the person who's made it. But that's not Jesus. Like, Jesus is the waiter in this story. And not not just the waiter, right? He is the lamb of sacrifice, serving salvation. And not only does the table expose our need, that there's nothing we can do to earn it, the table also shows us how much we've received. It shows us how truly loved we are. And yes, yes, I mean, the table, it does. It, It clearly reminds us that we are that messed up, that Jesus had to die. But it also reminds us that you are that love. Jesus did it gladly. And you don't, you don't have to earn it. You couldn't anyway, right? You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to clean yourself up for him to notice you, to want you. You simply have to receive him. This is my body for you. This is my blood for you. You can't earn greatness but we can receive it. Okay, so greatness begins at the table, right? Not with ruling, but with needing. Not with earning, but with receiving. And finally, not with comparing, but with serving. Not with comparing, but with serving. Oh man, we compare, don't we? All the time. Who's more successful, funnier, better looking, smarter, cooler kids, more stuff, right? whose life is, is more in, in, you know, together than mine. And, and, like, we do it all the time. And comparison is death. You'll never be happy. 
you'll never be great if you're stuck in comparison. And essentially, that's what the disciples are doing, right? Because I don't think they really want to be great. They just want to be greater, right? Greater than the person sitting next to them. Again, verse 24, right? A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They're just comparing one another. But the table removes any possibility of comparison. Because when you, when you see your need that Jesus had to die for you, and you see all that you've, you've received, that you've earned nothing from God, nothing. Like once you recognize that, you, you cannot compare anymore. Instead, instead we are free to serve. You no longer have to rule. You no longer have to earn. You no longer need power or riches or comfort or respect. And as the table breaks us of those old habits, we can serve. Because who does Jesus say here is the greatest? It's the one who serves. That in Jesus' mindset, in his kingdom, of which all of us, if we're followers of him, are now a part, according to him, no one is greater than the one who serves. No one. I mean, Jesus, he's not against greatness, right, or that desire that you and I have. He just completely redefines it, that if we want to be great in his kingdom, all you have to do is serve. That's it. It's really not that hard. And so students, as you think about a career, right, as many of us do, or maybe, maybe you're an, an adult, but you're reevaluating what, where's your best use, right? As you think about a career, don't, don't ask, where can I make the most money? Or, or where, can I, where can I follow my passion? Not that those are unimportant things, but that's, those aren't primary, not with Jesus. The question is, how can I serve? Like, how can I meet real human needs? And you could be great. We're at home. How much time do I spend at home trying to be the guy who's reclining at the table, right? Who just wants it easy, comfortable, wants everybody else in my life to sort of move around me. That's not the way it works. That we are called to serve one another. Or at work, even if you're the boss, right? Are you known as a servant there in that place? Leadership guru and best-selling author Patrick Lencioni uh, he's one of my favorites. I've read uh, most of his books, I think. Um, but his, his most recent book, The Motive, uh, he calls for the death of the phrase servant leadership. He's like, you should never say that. It's, it's the dumbest thing anybody's ever said because there is only servant leadership. That's it. Like if you're a leader, there is only servant leadership. There is no other kind of leadership. That is it. And so are, are you serving anyone, everywhere, all the time? At home, at work, at school, your neighbors, strangers. Like, if you want to be great, and of course you do. Who doesn't want to be great? If you want to be great, but you aren't serving in every capacity of your life, you'll, you'll never be there. You'll never be satisfied, and you will never be great. And not just simply something that we do, but it's something that we become. It's who we are now in his kingdom. No one is greater than the one who serves. So what do, you, what do you need to change? What needs to be different in your life? What new habits do you need to embrace? What new positions or postures do you, or priorities do you need to follow? Because just imagine if we did. I mean, just like play a game mentally. Like what if that was what the church was known for? 
What if it was what you were known for in your home or in your community? That we actually would obey Jesus and follow his example. And that would change everything, wouldn't it? I think, for example, my friends Dan and George, they attend here. I love these guys. They've been a part of our church family for a really, really long time. And they own, they own a business uh, in, in Kansas City. And they were just recently honored by Fortune Magazine and the Kansas City Business Journal as being one of the best places to work. And I love that because, like, they're not, they're not a Christian company. But Dan and George take Jesus seriously. And they follow him on Monday. And their clients and their employees know it. They recognize it. They benefit from it. And they're great. Or I think about my buddy, Greg. Um, many of you don't know Greg. You've probably, most of you have noticed Greg. Greg is the guy who, like, almost compulsively, it seems, just cleans this building ever since COVID, right? Sunday mornings, he is there with every door, every surface. He's just squirting and spraying and rubbing it off, rubbing all the COVID away, right? Keeping us safe. Does that for us. May, may not even know who he is or see what he does, and yet we, but he is great. And I think of so, so many of us, right, serving in the places where nobody sees. Like, think about that, right? For those of you who just feel like you're endlessly changing diapers or doing laundry, or maybe you're lost in some back cubicle, right? Nobody sees, or some job site, nobody sees. But Jesus sees. And if you're serving him and you're serving others he thinks you're pretty great and that's all that matters because no one is greater than the one who serves and so as we come to this table together this morning it's where greatness begins may we grab on to true greatness knowing what jesus has done for us instead of instead of ruling let us see our need let it be exposed before us Instead of earning, let us receive from God. And instead of comparing, let us serve. Hopefully you grab-